Good morning. Today's reading is from Acts 12, chapter 12, verses 1 through 17. Around that time, King Herod began to use violence towards some people in the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Judeans, he proceeded to arrest Peter, too. This was around the time of the festival of unleavened bread. So when he had seized him, he put him in prison and gave four squads of soldiers the job of guarding him with the intention of bringing him out to the people after Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church prayed earnestly to God on his behalf. On the night when Herod was intending to bring Peter out, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains. They were guards on the doors watching the prison. Suddenly an angel of the Lord stood there and a light shone in the cell. The angel hit Peter on the side and woke him up. Get up quickly, he said. The chains fell off his hands. Then the angel spoke again. Get dressed and put on your sandals, he said. And so Peter did. Put on your cloak and follow me, said the angel. So he went out, following the angel. He didn't think all this business with the angel was really happening. He thought it, he was seeing a vision. They went through the first set of guards, then the second. And then they came to the iron gate that led into the city. It opened all by itself. They went out and walked along a street. Suddenly, the angel left him. Then Peter came to his senses. Now I know it's true, he said. The Lord sent his angel and snatched me out of Herod's hands. He rescued me from all the things the Judeans were intending to do. Once he had realized this, he went to the house of Mary, John Mark's mother. Lots of people were gathered there praying. Peter knocked at the door in the outer gate, and a maid called Rhoda came to answer it. When she heard Peter's voice, she was so excited she didn't open the gate. Instead, she ran back in and told them that Peter was standing outside the gate. You're mad, they said to her, but she insisted that it was really true. It must be his angel, they said. Meanwhile, Peter carried on knocking. They opened the door and saw him and were astonished. He made a sign with his hand for them to be quiet. Then he told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell this to James and to the other brothers and sisters, he said. Then he left and went somewhere else. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Ron. Good morning, good morning. Someone said my name. Hello, my name is Hannah. I'm one of the pastors here. And you just gotta love the book of Acts, right? Like, another day in the life of following Jesus, prison breaks, angels, chains falling off. Sounds just like our day-to-day -day lives, doesn't it? I'm like inspired by these stories, and it's really helpful and important to, to learn about the history, the beginnings of our faith. And sometimes these stories can feel so like otherworldly. They can kind of be hard to like relate to, like, okay, and how does that speak to my following Jesus here and now? I mean, I see Jesus in my life, but I'm not having prison breaks and I haven't personally seen any angels that I'm aware of. Um, how does this relate to me? Am I alone in that? Okay, that's good. 
because otherwise this message would be a little um, <laughs> irrelevant. <laughs> I do think, though, that underneath all those details and all of the kind of happenings in this story, there are some really significant invitations for us as followers of Jesus today. And those are the things that we're going to dive into. So we're going to do something that we've done before. If you've been at New Hope the last year or so, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. We're going to do something called Lectio Divina, which is a Latin word for divine reading. What that means is I'm going to read through the passage several more times, three more times. And you're going to kind of put on your imagination hat and just really like immerse yourself in the story. So not really necessarily seeking to like academically understand. We're really trying to like prayerfully and imaginatively posture ourselves in this story and let that kind of shape the way that we enter into the text. Each time we go through it, I'm going to ask you to focus on a different character and then I'll read it, then I'll reflect and talk a little bit. And then that worksheet you got when you came in I'm going to have you do a little reflection yourself. If you didn't get a worksheet in your pew, there should be a couple extras. And then if you don't have a pen with you today or a pencil, there are some pens in the little basket there on your pews. And for our online community, the questions and prompts that I'll be walking you through today, those will either be in the chat or they might even be on the screen. I'm, I'm not sure how that will work, but... For sure, check the chat if they're not on the screen. Good job. Get all your things. Yep. I uh, went to college my first few years to study to be an elementary school teacher. So this is like, you're like my little classroom today. All right, settle in. We're going to read through the passage again. This time I want you to focus on Peter. You're in a prison. Herod's out to get you. You don't know what your next day is going to look like. Are you going to be alive or not? You, you're pretty much in like maximum security prison is kind of what the text is describing. What might that have been like? Chains on your, on your wrists, on your feet. I'm going to um, invite you to close your eyes if that's something that you're comfortable with. If not, just awkwardly look at me or look down at your paper and here we go. Around that time, King Herod began to use violence towards some people in the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Judeans, he proceeded to arrest Peter, too. This was around the time of the festival of unleavened bread. So when he had seized him, he put him in prison and gave four squads of soldiers the job of guarding him with the intention of bringing him out to the people after Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church prayed earnestly to God on his behalf. On the night when Herod was intending to bring Peter out, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. There were guards on the doors watching the prison. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord stood there and a light shone in the cell. The angel hit Peter on the side and woke him up. Get up quickly, he said. The chains fell off of his hands. And then the angel spoke again, get dressed, put on your sandals, he said. So Peter did. Put on your cloak and follow me, said the angel. So he went out, following the angel. He didn't think all this business with the angel was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They went through the first set of guards and then the second, and then they came to the iron gate that led into the city. It opened 
all by itself. They went out and walked along a street. Suddenly the angel left him, and then Peter came to his senses. Now I know it's true, he said. The Lord sent his angel and snatched me out of Herod's hands. He rescued me from all the things the Judeans were intending to do. Once he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, John Mark's mother. Lots of people were gathered there praying. Peter knocked at the door in the outer gate, and a maid called Rhoda came to answer it. When she heard Peter's voice, she was so excited she didn't open the gate. Instead, she ran back in and told them that Peter was standing outside the gate. You're mad, they said to her. But she insisted it was really true. It must be his angel, they said. Meanwhile, Peter carried on knocking. They opened the door and saw him and were astonished. He made a sign with his hand for them to be quiet, and he told them all about how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell this to James and to the other brothers and sisters, he said, and then he left and went somewhere else. Very dramatic entry and exit on Peter's behalf. Okay, if you close your eyes, feel free to open those. How'd that feel? If it took you a little while to get into it, that's okay. You've got two more chances. A little story to share with you. About 10 years ago, in my last semester of college, I had my first experience with panic. If you have experienced panic yourself, you know what that is like, and it's not a fun time. I was in that last semester, kind of about to graduate, and really my whole life had been pretty structured and like planned out until then. And so I was confronting for primarily the first time these big decisions. There wasn't really a script after this. What was I going to do with my life? And those questions became worst case scenarios and the panic and the anxiety and the fear of that unknown just started to close in on me. Remember going back to my dorm room in between classes and I would just lay on my bed and just feel like the anxiety just became this smaller and smaller suffocating prison cell. During that time, I was dating someone and he was interning at a church. And so one Sunday, I went with him to see the church where he was. And after the service, I didn't know anyone there, a woman came up to me and she's like, hi, it's so nice to meet you. Hi, nice to meet you too. During worship, I know this kind of sounds a little weird, but during worship, I think God gave me a vision for you. Would it be okay if I share that with you? I was like, okay, sure. I can be a little wary of God saying, or people saying that God told them this or whatnot, but she like asked for if that was okay and seemed reasonable. So it's like, okay, sure. So she goes on to tell me she had this vision of me in, in an open field. And right, I was standing right on the edge of it, and in front of me were these, was this like dark wood, a forest with just the trees really close together. And she's like, it's kind of daunting, honestly. Like, okay. Uh, there's a path leading, leading into the woods, and I think you're supposed to go in there. But you're also, I noticed you were like carrying or holding, or maybe it was inside you, I couldn't quite tell, this light right here at the center of your chest. And I think what God is saying in that is that even though the road ahead is dark and uncertain, you have 
God's light with you. You have God's spirit with you. You can trust that there will be light on your path. I thanked her for sharing with me. I said I'd ponder what she said. But I had no idea that for the next 10 years of my life, that that vision would save me time and time again. That it's still saving me. I've had three um, pretty significantly dark and disorienting seasons with um, struggling with my mental health in the last decade. Times when it felt very much like I was in the middle of that forest and didn't know which way to go or if there would ever be another side. And I came to understand that vision that she gave me as God almost saying to me, Hana girl, which is what I like to think God calls me, Hana girl, you can trust yourself. My spirit is in you. You can trust what lights you up. From all the questions, when I ached for certainty on should I see this therapist or take this medication or should I try that job or should I stay in this relationship or all of those things when when certainty just like was knocking at my door like I need it, God reminded me, I'm with you. You can trust yourself. You can trust the light that's within you. That's not to say that I didn't make mistakes or, or that I was perfect in like following that light. But it is to say that underneath all of that, God could and would lead me to wherever I was meant to be. I could risk walking mysterious paths to freedom just like Peter. Suddenly, an angel appeared in the cell and a light was there. Get up and follow me. Okay, where are we going? So some time for you to reflect now. You'll get the next minute and a half, two minutes on these questions. Where might God be inviting you into greater freedom? Where is that light leading you? What could be your next most faithful step? The next two minutes are yours. All right, I'm going to interrupt you, but you can take this paper home with you and finish it up there. Next, remember our pattern, read, me talk, you reflect. We're doing it three times. So next, we're going to focus on the character, small little role, but I think a pretty significant one, Rhoda, the servant girl. What would it have been like for, for, that, for her to be the one opening the gate to Peter? I guess she didn't really open the gate, but hearing Peter's voice. She's kind of this insignificant status in that culture, but yet she's a part of this movement, this, this group of followers of Jesus. So as I read, I'm going to start a little farther down in the passage in verse 11. What stands out to you about, about Rhoda? You can close your eyes if you'd like. Then Peter came to his senses. Now I know it's true, he said. The Lord sent his angel and snatched me out of Herod's hands. He rescued me from all the things the Judeans were intending to do. Once he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, John Mark's mother, and lots of people were gathered there praying. Peter knocked at the the door in the outer gate, and a maid called Rhoda came to answer it. When she heard Peter's voice, She was so excited, she didn't open the gate. Instead, she ran back in and told them that Peter was standing outside the gate. 
you're mad, they said to her. But she insisted, it really was true. It must be his angel, they said. Side note, I like that that is more reasonable to them than Peter actually being there, that an angel is there. (laughs) Meanwhile, Peter carried on knocking. They opened the door and saw him and were astonished. He made a sign with his hand for them to be quiet. And then he told them about how the Lord had led him out of the prison. Tell this to James and to the other brothers and sisters, he said. And then he left and went somewhere else. As I was preparing this message and I came across Rhoda's name, I was like, oh, that's ringing a bell. And I remembered a couple of years before, I was like, I think I maybe wrote a little journal entry on on Rhoda's character. I wonder if I can find that. So I pulled out my notes app in my phone. If any of you use that, I kind of just dump stuff there and jot things down. And sure enough, I use a search bar. And from 2015, I had a little entry in there from some reflections on Rhoda. Can I share them with you? Good, because it's in my notes and part of where I'm going. (laughs) Tonight I read Acts 12 and I was encouraged, not only by Peter's extravagant provision story, but mostly that a culturally insignificant servant girl is mentioned by name in verse 13, Rhoda. I'm encouraged that she's written into this story as one who insisted on the validity of what she'd seen and heard, that she expressed a strong emotion that she took up space. What kind of movement was it that solicited such things? I'm encouraged that the book describing these Christian roots of mine claim her significance and call her by name. That feels like good news. I think Rhoda had internalized this liberating gospel of Jesus, and it impacted the way that she was able to show up in her world. Luke who wrote Acts, also wrote one of the Gospels. Can you guess which one? You're so smart. Yes, the Gospel of Luke. This story in Acts is almost identical to another story at the end of Luke when Jesus is not in the tomb and it's empty and there's women that come to visit the tomb. I'm going to read it to you. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they stood there wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the woman bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. So, The parallel in this story, the moral of the story, is to listen to women. (laughs) Thank you so much. My time at New Hope has been wonderful. (laughs) Just joking, kind of. So this story in the Gospel of John, so not Luke, but John, has a beautiful detail that really has impacted me 
that Luke doesn't include, but I'm gonna just draw our attention to it real quick. So Jesus actually appears to Mary at the tomb in the Gospel of Luke, but she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener until he says her name, Mary. And then she knows who's before her. So Rhoda recognizes Peter by his voice. Mary recognized Jesus by her name. Their recognition of God's activity and their internalization of the gospel led them into a courageous freedom. I think Rhoda and Mary invite us to recognize Jesus. A couple of reflection questions for you. How do you recognize Jesus? Does knowing and being known by Jesus shape the way that you show up in your life and relationships? How so? And how do you want it to? Take the next few minutes. All right, friends. Our last time through. You know the drill by now. This time, as I read through, starting in verse 11, I want you to focus on the early church. Gathered at Mary's house, your core leader is in in prison, you don't know what's going to happen to him, you're praying, you're together, you hear someone yelling from the courtyard, immerse yourself in that story, what would have been like to be them gathered there that night? You can close your eyes if you'd like. Then Peter came to his senses. Now I know it's true, he said. The Lord sent his angel and snatched me out of Herod's hands. He rescued me from all the things the Judeans were intending to do. Once he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, John Mark's mother. Lots of people were gathered there praying. Peter knocked at the door on the outer gate, and a maid called Rhoda came to answer it. When she heard Peter's voice, she was so excited she didn't open the gate. Instead, she ran back in and told them that Peter was standing outside the gate. You're mad, they said to her. But she insisted. It's really true. It must be his angel, they said. Meanwhile, Peter carried on knocking. They opened the door and saw him and were astonished. He made a sign with his hands for them to be quiet. And then he told them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. Tell this to James and to the other brothers and sisters, he said. And then he left, went somewhere else. The fact that Peter told them to be quiet makes me think they might have been a little noisy. How was that for you? Can you get yourself in those, in those shoes? It would have been, I, I don't know what I would have thought about that. Rhoda coming up to me. Peter's here. Earlier this month, I listened to a podcast, one of my favorites called The Place We Find Ourselves, and it's by Adam Young, and it was a podcast on hope. I want to read to you a little bit of what he said. Hope is flat out agonizing. Hope requires that you groan inwardly while at the same time waiting expectantly. The alternatives to hope are a deadening of desire, and a growing cynicism about what you can really expect from this life. 
Indeed, most hope is squashed by the simple phrase, I'm just being realistic. But our war with hope inevitably leads to God. Will God respond to the cries of my heart? I'm just being realistic kind of sounds like the early church. It couldn't be Peter. Can anyone else relate to that statement that hope is flat out agonizing? Yeah. The person doing the podcast went on to acknowledge like not all of our longings are going to be satisfied. Not all of our hopes are going to be fulfilled. We're not all going to have these answer to prayer moments where there's a prison break and the thing we're praying for shows up knocking at our door. But the issue with hope is we don't know which ones. We don't get to be in control of outcomes. I want to suggest that this story in Acts is not like an indictment of the early church. You were just praying. How could you, how could you not believe? What I think this story is inviting us to is to be human. To be human is to have both faith and fear. It's to have both worry and wonder. It's to have both belief and unbelief. We can come to prayer with all of that ambivalence. We can come to prayer with all of that wrestling and uncertainty and doubt. I think the church in this story invites us to pray anyway. When we pray anyway, in the midst of all of that wrestling, we keep something so vital in us alive, our hope. And it's not a hope necessarily in a specific outcome. It's, it's a hard-won hope, a hope in a God who sees us, who knows us, who promises to be with us, who holds our hope with us, a God who cares, a God who responds to us and who will love us through whatever comes our way. When we pray anyway, we exercise that hope. What happens in you when you open the door to hope, even maybe just a little bit? What does that agony of hope feel like in you? For me, it's kind of like a, like a, a heat, an ache in my chest, or just a pit in my stomach. Or when I allow for longing and desire to be present, it can be like a heat behind my eyes to my ears. But when I'm running from hope or trying to deaden desire and longing and ache, it turns into this kind of anxious, frenetic energy that sort of runs up and down my core and into my arms and my legs. Where does hope live in you? I want to invite you to either now in a few minutes when we reflect or later on your own to try and name and feel hope. Not because I want you to suffer, but because our hope is vital to this Christian story that we're part of. The Apostle Paul writes it, faith, hope, and love. 
We need this hope as we seek to follow Jesus. So, what hopes do you struggle to believe God will respond to? What does hope feel like? What would it look like for you to welcome doubt and to pray anyway? Take the next couple minutes. All right. Take that home. Keep working with it. Where's there resistance in you to some of those questions? Get curious about that. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands up in the temple and he quotes from Isaiah and he describes what he's here to do, what his gospel, what his good news is all about. To proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, sight for the blind, freedom for the oppressed. In all the literal ways and in all of the metaphorical and spiritual ways, Jesus invites us to freedom. Jesus invites you to freedom. And even more, this is an important part, not only does Jesus invite us to freedom, but he invites us to champion freedom in our whole world. That the more that we receive and embody and dwell in this freedom, the more we're able to offer it, to extend it, and to give it to those around us. Where is Jesus inviting you to greater freedom today? In a minute, we're going to come to the tables and celebrate communion together. And when you come, well, if you've been here in the last couple of months, you'll know that we do communion communally in groups. So there will be hosts at each table, and hosts, you're welcome to come up now. And they'll gather groups of about eight or ten folks. And a little differently this time, they're going to pass around a little card. has a door on one side, like in our story today. And on the other side, there is a liberation prayer, a prayer of freedom that Jess wrote for us. So you're going to take one of those, if you'd like, you don't have to, it's yours to keep, but then also after you take the elements that your communion server will, will bring around to you, that server is going to pray the liberation prayer that Jess wrote over, over our groups, and then you'll be free to go. And we invite you to put this in your car, on your dashboard, in a safe spot, on your fridge, slip it in your Bible or journal, and let this remind you of the freedom that Jesus is inviting you into today. You can come to the tables when you're ready. Hello, New Hope. How you doing? Uh, you guys got an email about our sister Hannah this week, if you're on our email list, and uh, she shared that uh, God is opening up a new vocational opportunity for her. So you'll be transitioning off our staff at New Hope into something new after seven years. Crazy seven years, huh? Yeah. It was a wild ride, yeah. So she raised her eyebrows at me a lot through the years. Like, really? That's what we're going to do There might have even been a few eye rolls. Some eye rolls. Plenty of eye rolls. Uh, Can you share with everybody what what you're going to be doing? Yeah. So in March, I actually went part-time here at New Hope and took a job at Portland Seminary overseeing um, some of their grant programs. 
And my boss at that job also has a company called Leadership Center that she's been building over the last decade about. And she's really seeking to scale that and build that out this year, providing coaching and consulting for, primarily it's been for churches and pastors and ministry leaders, but hoping to expand that. And so she hired me to help her out with that. So I'll be part-time at Portland Seminary and then part-time with Leadership Center. And yeah, I'm excited to, to see what happens, really. Sounds like an awesome opportunity. But as your church, uh, we have to officially vote if it's God's will or not. And on three, everyone. Did we all of a sudden just I become that just, kind of church? We just oh, did that kind cool. of church. We're suddenly voting on everything. And no, no, I'm just kidding. We, uh, we talk a lot around here. Uh, this is a local expression of the body of Christ. It's really important what we do uniquely and the call that God's Spirit has on this church. Uh, but we're more importantly, and it is more important, part of the Church of Portland. And we're brothers and sisters, and we're part of a national church, and an international church is so diverse, and we're going to party one day all together with King Jesus at the wedding feast of the Lamb. I can't wait. And Hannah will be transitioning to, I think, using her uh, incredible gifts in a broader way for the church. And that's really beautiful. And she's grown a lot here through the years, and we've grown a lot under her leadership. I was reflecting some this last week. I mean, we could have story time with John and Hannah for hours, right? I was with her when she got attacked by baboons in Africa. That was the thing. I'm glad that you're finally saying that it was an attack because it's, it's, he underplayed attack. that she, thing. She milks it so a lot. They took her long. sandwich. I mean, eh, you know. Instead, there you was know. a baboon face right here. Oh, but here we go. Face. But when Han and I John's first like, met, too bad we weren't there. You guys see the we relationship. Fine. Seven years ago, I've, I've been here almost eight years. You came in and you applied uh, yeah. for the children's ministry role here. And I looked at your resume. I'm like, wow, she seems outstanding, but she's not a children's minister, right? So I said, it's no. All you were hiring for at the time. We started our relationship yeah. with me denying her. But then I came back and I called you. I think it was a call. And yep. I said, I have an idea. Would you work for us for free? <laughs> you remember that? I do. Remember it's really that. embarrassing. Yeah. Now, in retrospect. Yeah. Yes. Would you? Uh, sorry, we didn't hire you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Could you work? Intern. And she said yes. And then she answered phones at the front. You pretty much did anything. You have done anything, which shows your incredible heart. And I was also reflecting how I think I asked you about a hundred times to preach, and you said no every single time until you finally. One said time yes. I said yes, and then and then I said no. Then she said no. <laughs> this is what I'm dealing with, you know. So like, but yeah. I'm so glad, right, that she finally said yes. Yeah, yeah. So grateful. And I think as I reflect on you, you'll you you know hopefully we've shaped you. You shared that in your beautifully written blog, um, but um, you've shaped us as well. And, and I said in the first service, I think I was up there trying to think of the term for you, and, and the best I could come up with is uh, holy scrappiness. She's got a holy scrappiness about her. I like and that, and that I mean that I think you're in the embodiment of courage, and I mean that. Um, even today, sharing about mental health challenge, I mean, how many of us have gone through stuff like that, and church traditionally doesn't talk about stuff like that. We just put on the Somali face, we're all good in Jesus which is not true, right? We are good in Jesus, but we're in the valley of the shadow of death a lot of times with stuff, and he walks with us. And you're courageous enough, that's vulnerability, right, to put yourself out there. And keep going. Uh, Hebrews, I've been memorizing these verses in Hebrews 12, that we, therefore, since we have this great cloud of witnesses, you may know that. If we've traditionally thought these are like people kind of staring at us in the sky, and that kind of creeps me out, to be honest. I don't think that's what's happening. Uh, I don't know, maybe. Like but the Truman Show. Like Truman Show, yeah. yes. Yeah. But I think it's us. We're one another's cloud of witnesses, and we all need that in life, and we are forever your cloud of witnesses, and we'll be cheering her on, yes, cheering her on, and uh, yeah, you're getting all kind of applause. Just, 
before I pray for you, uh, how can we pray for you? When the yes. Spirit of God brings you to our minds and hearts, will happen often, how can we pray? Yeah. I think that last invitation from our um, sermon today of hope, um, yeah, that God would continue to nurture hope in me and that I would partner with God in keeping that awake and alive. So, yeah. Great. I'm going to pray for you, uh, and then I'm going to read a benediction over you. That, that just means a good word from the Scripture. And this is a special one for me because I transitioned out here almost next week. I think it'll be eight years. And when I was leaving the church, we, my wife and I planted. Uh, it was a weepy Sunday, and uh, my good friend read these verses from Zephaniah over me, and I want to read them over you. They just came to mind. I was like, what do I want to read over Hannah? And so I'm going to read these over all of us. They're truth for all of us. And then we'll sing the, the doxology together as we often do. We have this thing at New Hope where we commission people, we hold our hands out like this. So I want to invite you to do that as I pray for Hannah. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you for our sister Hannah. We love her so much. Uh, our lives are forever changed uh, for her involvement and deep investment and sacrifice and love for this local body of Christ. Uh, we would not be the church we are without her. And God, thank you for her courage even in asking questions as she has been for a while, like what's next? What's God doing in me? What am I uniquely built and gifted and crafted and made to do? And I'm so excited to see how she's gonna flourish. And we pray that for her. We pray a flourishing a holistically upon her life. And we pray that she would continue to be a person of hope, uh, that the seeds of hope that are clearly in her heart, that you would water them and they would grow and bear great fruit uh, for your kingdom and for the sake of the world. Uh, thank you that she's our friend and she's our sister and, uh, and we just delight in her and we know that you delight in her. Uh, we pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. All right, honey, here's your good word from Zephaniah 3. I'm sure you do your devotions in Zephaniah all the time, right? This is all awesome. And these are, these are words for you as well. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. And on that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion, do not let your hands hang limp, for the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. Hear this, Hannah, he will take great delight in you, and in his love, he will no longer rebuke you but will rejoice over you with singing. And all God's people said?